finish our series in 1 Corinthians tonight, uh, chapter 10. So if you've got that open, I encourage you to have it uh, open with us. Uh, but let me just say this from the outset. Uh, I'm praying that God will spark something in some of you guys tonight uh, that will make a big difference in the kingdom of God. We've been talking about uh, mission the last few weeks, and I, you know, I know you guys. I know many of you are carrying heavy weights. Many of you are feeling paralyzed in anxiety and fear. And I know you're tired and, and struggle to believe that you can make a difference. You know, facing a tidal wave of secular culture with friends and family who seem far beyond ever coming to faith, let alone engaging in a meaningful discussion, we can feel totally inadequate. Now, I felt this too. The shame over our own sin, the feeling of inadequacy of you know, our lifestyle or our weaknesses or what kind of knowledge we have. It's going to be hard talking about mission and praying for mission and thinking about this. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians, and I want to take you back to the start, the start of Paul's letter. In chapter 1, he says this. Listen to these words. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We jump down to chapter 2. Paul says this, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Do you believe in the power of God to save? Do you believe in the power of the gospel? As we conclude our mission-minded series, it's helpful to keep this truth in mind. Because the power is in God and not us, we need to keep this in view, right? You want to be a good evangelist? You want to be effective in your mission to your friends and see people saved? The answer is ultimately not about being more eloquent, better speaking, being more winsome, getting better trained. The answer, because it is God, the answer for us is selflessness. And anyone, anyone can do that. Really, the answer is be more like Jesus. Be more like Jesus. Paul says it at the end there. We heard it. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, so tonight, from the end of chapter 10, we're going to take a look at what does selflessness look like? What does that look like? And this is my hope. That God will refresh and renew you in the glorious truth of the sacrificial love of Christ and His selflessness for us so that we too will be spurred on to lay down our lives for the good and the salvation of others. That's my prayer. And so as we come to His Word, let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to come before You as we have been tonight and worship You. We're so thankful for Your love, 
so thankful for your mercy towards us. And You know, I want to confess my own sinfulness and my own inadequacies, Lord. Uh, and, it's, and it's hard to preach this message, but I believe, Lord, in, that the power is in the cross and not me. And so for these guys here tonight, uh, this family, I pray that we would have open hearts to hear from you and that you would be moving by your spirit, that we would taste and see your power again, that we would live the kind of life you are calling us to so that we might see many people saved. So help us, Lord, please speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've got your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. I'm going to read it along again. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, I have the right to do anything, you say. Not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I have the right to do anything. It seems to be a bit of a Corinthian catch cry. Uh, Paul quoted it early in chapter 6, the same thing, I have the right to do anything. Uh, maybe it was a trending hashtag at the, at the time, you know, hashtag, I have the right. Uh, you can imagine Patrick Swayze agreeing, nobody puts baby in the corner. It's a dirty dancing reference. I haven't seen the movie, apparently it's a thing. But Personal freedom, personal freedom was a high priority. And it's not too different from our society too, hey. To deny individual freedom and self-expression is a heinous sin. You do you and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But Paul says to the Christian, well, hold on, hold on a minute. Like for the Corinthian Christians, uh, they're struggling with this issue of eating food sacrificed to idols. Many argued, it's my freedom, nay, my right to eat this steak. But Paul says, well, is it helpful? Have you thought about how that might affect others? Not everything that is permissible is beneficial. Let me say that again. Not everything that is permissible or allowed is beneficial. And then he lays out a definition of selflessness. He says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So in context, a Christian should be willing to sacrifice a right for the sake of the good of someone else. Willing to sacrifice a right for the good of someone. And that makes us uncomfortable, right? Doesn't it? Makes us uncomfortable. We like doing good and we like being on mission. But once that actually costs us something, we kind of take a step back and we're like, well, hold on. And I was trying to think of how to illustrate this. It's kind of like subscribing to a free month of Disney+. Plus. You get that free month all in. Awesome. Once you're asked to pay, (laughs) some out. (laughs) I'm not paying for that subscription. We want to do good, but once it costs us something, we take a step back. You know, Jesus gives a similar challenge in Mark chapter 10. Uh, James and John, his disciples, they're asking for a seat at the table in heaven to sit at Jesus' left and right in glory. And Jesus, he says this, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you 
must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what selflessness looks like. A willingness to serve and care for the needs of others above our own. A willingness to care for others above our own. It's what Jesus himself modeled for us. This is the posture we're to have as Christians. This should be our default, default setting, selflessness. Our first reflex should not be, Shannon Noel, what about me? I don't know if you remember that song. It's our cultural reflex. It's the theme song of our life reality TV show. What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough and I want my share. Man, that soul patch is beautiful. And that song's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the night, so I'm sorry. That's our cultural reflex. What about me? Instead, our reflex as Christians should be selflessness, to ask the right questions, as Paul suggests. Is my behavior beneficial? Is how I'm acting helpful towards others? Does this promote their good and ultimate good of knowing Jesus? Now, let me make this practical for you. Would we be willing to wear a mask for the sake of others? You know, my impulse is to justify myself. But my reflex should be, how will others perceive me and how can I be selfless? Is that your reflex? Laying down your rights for the sake of the good of others. It's hard and it should be hard. Yet you don't need to be a super freak evangelist to be a nice person. To be a selfless person. Each of us can do this. Each of us are called to do this as we follow in the way of Jesus and the example of Christ. This is our mission mind. Our mission mind, laying down our rights and our desires for the good of others. So what does selflessness look like? Firstly, it looks like actually laying down our rights. Laying down our rights. Secondly, it looks like being considerate. Uh, So let's come back to our passage Paul elaborates on his example of eating food sacrificed to idols. So you've got your Bible there, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 25. He says, Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The Corinthians, they got a right to eat meat sacrificed to idols without worry. It's not a problem because of what Jesus did. Even as they go to the unbeliever's house, he says, Eat. Verse 27, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. See, for the Jewish person, that used to be an issue. You know, they couldn't eat that food. But then because of Christ fulfilling the law, it's eat up. Have that meat. It doesn't mean anything. And I love that it's assumed that the Corinthian Christians are mixing with unbelievers. Uh, They're eating together. They're, They're at each other's Houses in each other's lives. A challenge for us whether or not we would be willing to spend time with people. Maybe invite them for a meal or a <coughs> cough, potluck dinner. Yet there's a circumstance 
where Corinthians would abstain. Uh, Verse 28, he says, But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. In other words, if your action would cause someone else to stumble, don't do it. Not because they are right and you are wrong. Uh, Paul clarifies, he says this, verse 29, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? See, Paul's saying, he's not saying that we should compromise on our convictions. This is not a matter of judgment. Rather, it comes down to being considerate. It's not about you. It's about them. Being considerate. I wonder if you're known as a person who is considerate. I really believe this, and I hope this is the case. I think Christians should be the nicest, most considerate people going around. Every one of us should be willing to give up our seat on the bus for someone in need, or for anyone. All of us should be considerate of how we act and how that affects other people's conscience, both other believers and unbelievers. Are we considerate? Are we considerate about how we live? And have you thought about how the choices that you make might affect others and might be a stumbling block to them? So let me give you another example. Uh, Say, for instance, you're going to the fringe uh, with your friends and hanging out in the Garden of Unearthly Delights, uh, enjoying some good food, going on the Ferris wheel, having a great time. Uh, But imagine, however, that your friend, they struggle to keep their eyes from lusting at the shows or the temptation for them to get drunk is a problem. It's not a question of whether it's ethical or not to go to the fringe or not. It's a question of what is helpful. What is helpful for them? That should be our reflex. Or think of your friend at uni who's Hindi uh, or maybe a vegetarian. God help them. Uh, You start having lunch with them. You don't take this person to the steakhouse. You don't sit down in front of them and open out your beef sandwich. The considerate thing to do is to care about them and eat something different. You know, Paul's example of food sacrificed to idols and the, mor- the morality of eating certain kinds of food, it can be hard to relate to. But I really want to challenge us to listen to the context of what he's saying. See, often for us, more often than not, it's not a question of morality. It's a, it's a question of constructiveness. Are my actions helpful and considerate? Do I care about the good of others? Do I care about the good of others? This is how we are to bring glory to God, by serving others. So what does selflessness look like? It looks like laying down rice. It looks like being considerate. And it looks like looking to the good of others, to the glory of God. Uh, the next verse in our passage, I used to paint the next verse on my wall. Like I, I printed it out, put it on there. And I literally inserted in brackets and work out. Um, so it read like this. So whether I eat or drink or work out or whether I, whatever I do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, I'd imagine every push-up, this is for you, God. But that's not the right context of this verse. It actually is a poor interpretation of what Paul is trying to say. Rather, eating or drinking or not eating or drinking for the sake of the good of others, the good of others brings God glory. 
Christians who are selfless and care for others bring God glory. So let's read these verses in the whole context together. Listen, listen to this. So, so because of everything you've just said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. The context of the communities of people that we might be a blessing to, that we might reach for the Corinthians. It was the Jews, it was the Greeks, it was the church. For us, it might mean Victorians or, or migrants or neighbors or friends or family and church. Wherever we are, whoever we are with, do we care about them? Is the way we hold ourselves helpful to them knowing what God is like? Or are we a stumbling block to them? You know, last year I got a knock on the door by a neighbor uh, asking us to get up at 6 a.m. and stand out the front of our house uh, for Anzac Day. As a Christian, do I want to be known as someone who cares? Or am I too busy? You know, I need my sleep. I'm not that interested in national pride. No, like my reflex should be, how can I be a blessing? How can I be for their good? You know, driving, getting angry at that person in traffic. No, we should be the best drivers going around. Or thinking about your meal is given to you at Macca's and it's, and it's off. You know, do we throw that back at them? Or are we actually thinking about their good? Thinking about how our actions affect them. Paul says he is not going to seek his own good, but the good of many. It's selflessness, disadvantaging yourself for the sake of others. Let me say that again, disadvantaging yourself for the sake of others. What are you willing to sacrifice for the good of many? Your money? Would you be willing to sacrifice your time, your grades, your comfort? And not just individually, but... But collectively, as a church, you know, what do we want our church budget to go to? You know, more comfy seats, uh, more staff, bigger sound systems? Or would we want our money to go to serving the good of others? This selflessness, disadvantaging ourselves for the good of many that they may be saved. But I want to just take a minute and take a brief aside to answer and address this question. Maybe this is where you are at. How can you ask me to empty myself when I'm already empty? How can you ask me to empty myself when I'm already empty? Or in other words, what if I'm struggling, maybe with a mental illness or a chronic illness or grief? Shouldn't I be putting myself first? Isn't it unwise to hurt myself for the sake of others? And listen carefully, because if you don't hear me right, you'll misinterpret what I'm trying to say. Should I be putting myself first? No, you shouldn't. But, listen, it is probably true that you need to care for yourself first and understand your limitations. Caring for yourself is not the same as putting yourself first. Listen, in fact, the selfless thing to do may be to step back and self-care. 
here. The selfless thing to do might be for you to self-care. The selfish posture might be to think that, you know, you're God and that everyone else's good relies on you destroying yourself. Selflessness may mean having the faith to step back for the good of others, understanding your limits. The difference is, is our heart for God's glory and other people's needs? And it may be that recovery is where you are at. And right now, recovery is what you need to be focusing on for the glory of God and the good of others. It's important I say that. But my second point to answer that question is that we as a church have a responsibility for your good. For those who are able, selflessness is denying our own comforts and cares for the sake of helping you in your need. Selflessness is watching the way we speak and we talk about mental illness. And the selfless, the selfless thing to do for you is to accept and receive that help. Does that make sense? But let's come back to kind of selflessness uh, more broadly. Let's come back to our passage, laying down ourselves, laying down our rights. So why? Why would we be so stupid to lay down ourselves? Uh, Paul says, For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. You know, we've been talking about the mission mind, you know, our attitudes, our mindset. This is where it comes down to our mission heart. For God's glory, we want people to be saved. We care that people are separated from God, dead in their sins and destined to face His judgment. We care that God still loves them and He's made a way for them to be saved. To know His salvation, to share in His eternal life, to know His peace and hope and restoration. We, we want that. And so for your mum or dad who's, who's not saved, who have not trusted in Jesus, would you be willing to disadvantage yourself for their good that they might experience Christ? Would you be willing to put up with their disagreements and expectations and chores and love them and serve them and lay down your rights for them? For your friends at uni or school or work in your tutorials, would you take a minute to stop being so consumed by getting good grades and care about how you're spending this limited time that you have as a young person, that you might do good for them. You would do good to them, that they might have an opportunity to meet Christ. Or for your colleagues at Woolies or Coles, might you cover a shift or do a job they were meant to do or remedy a mistake that they made or stop to ask how they're going if they're looking down? You know, it might be hard and it might cost you, Right? But you care for them. You want them to be saved. And so you're willing to serve them. This is what it means to follow Christ. That we would lay down ourselves for the sake of others. Because this is the example he set for us. Paul says this, follow my example as I follow Christ. Or as Jesus puts it, Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And Christ who paid the ultimate price for us. He suffered. He was pierced. He took the consuming wrath of God that was deserved for us upon himself. 
so that we can know His peace. He laid it down. Christ who is willing to touch the leper. Christ who is willing to heal the paralytic man when that was inconvenient. He was willing to go after the one and leave the 99 behind. He was willing to feed the 5,000 when he was tired and it was inconvenient. You know, asking you to lay down yourself doesn't make sense unless you look at Jesus. You look him in the eye, you see his face, and you see his love and his compassion for you. All that he's given to reconcile you to God, such that the fullness of life and peace is yours in Jesus. And maybe the Lord Jesus is speaking to you today and he's calling you home. He's calling you to himself. You, you, you feel paralyzed when you hear a message about laying down yourself and, and living for him and wanting to be on mission. You just, just, just kind of freeze up. Might be because you haven't fully realized what Jesus has done for you. This is the power of the gospel. That Jesus on the cross pays the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And this power awakens us, whoever we are, whatever we've done, to eternal life and acceptance. And a power that awakens us to a new calling as we follow after our King in service and sacrifice because we want people to know this same salvation. So will your life be marked by selflessness? Will your life be marked by the power of God, not in your own ability, but in His power through you, if you're willing to lay down your life for Him? Will your life be about glory to God and joy to the city? Right, that's, our, that's who we are as a church. We've got to exist for God's glory. And joy to the city. It's so counterintuitive it's, and it's countercultural that we would lay down ourselves for the sake of others. Uh, and I want to finish with a passage of Scripture that I think captures this. And I hope in light of what I've said that this will uh, speak to you tonight. So I want to invite you to stand and I'm going to read this passage to close. So we're thinking about mission-minded and, and being selfless. Uh, just listen to these words from Philippians. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. This God who is equal with God, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, I need to hear that. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. This is how we're going to stand out in this generation. If we will be selfless, listen to this, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even, listen to Paul's heart here, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Paul's like, I've done it. I've given everything. There's nothing left. He says he's glad and he rejoices with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we want to worship you now and praise you that you laid down your life for us. We didn't deserve that. We, we were your enemies, Lord. We rejected you in our sin and our shame. God, we, we're so unworthy. And we're so weak. And we're so powerless. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would love us still. And you would choose us still. And that in our weakness, in our fear, in our trembling, that you would show the power of God to save us. And the power of God to work through us. So Father, I pray this right now that if there are people here this evening that haven't trusted you for their salvation, they haven't looked at you and accepted your sacrifice, that they would know tonight that eternal peace, that they would give their heart to you. Lord, call them home. And for all of us, again, Lord, refresh us. I know I've become familiar with this. You know, just talk about it. Yeah, Jesus died for me. But Lord, I'm sorry. I want to be awakened again to how beautiful this is, that you would stir in me, stir in all of us, that we would lay down everything for the sake of the mission that you've called us to, that we would be like stars in the sky that shine bright in our communities. So help us, Lord. I know it's, it's warm in here. We're feeling sleepy, but I pray right now that you would awaken in our souls a heart for those that need saving. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a friend or a brother or sister or a friend at work or a neighbor. Or maybe it's a country. Maybe, Lord, you're calling us to a people group who have never heard of your name. Lord, we pray, we want to lay it down and say, use us, use us in our weakness. And for those, Lord, who are feeling at their absolute emptiness, I pray that you might fill them and renew their spirit and help us as a community to be considerate of one another, to love one another. God, we need you. We thank you and we praise you that you are going to do a mighty work through us as we lay ourselves down. So God, we bless you, we thank you, and we pray it in Jesus' name.
God's children said, Amen.